0: All right, here we go. Episode three for Rich the Architect. Today's episode, I'm going to actually cover um, some concepts that I use in the software that I have for for drawing. So the actually the software I use to do most of my drawings is called Revit. It's provided by Autodesk. Uh, It's the same company that provides AutoCAD for anybody who is out of the industry you probably hear AutoCAD a lot more than you would Revit, but Revit is becoming more of the professional standard. The nice thing about Revit, real quick as a background, is it is everything is drawn in three dimensions. So in AutoCAD it's essentially a digital, I'm just gonna call it a you know, a, a digital drafting board. You're drawing individual lines. Uh, nothing is necessarily connected. To each other, meaning the um, the lines themselves, and then also the different views that you get in a drawing set. In a Revit model or drawing field, or you know whatever, it's a everything is connected because everything's done in three dimensions. So when you draw a wall in a plan, you'll see you know probably like you know two lines for for the wall, but uh, there's relationships between other elements as well, the windows, the doors. So if you move a, um, it's possible that if you move a wall, the doors can move with it. If it's in the wall or a door that's on another wall could actually move with it as well. So uh, everything's connected and the nice thing about it as well because it's 3D is you're essentially cutting planes to create views. So if there's an update in a plan view, it gets updated in the other views building sections elevations etc so there's a lot a big time saver with it uh, along with um better coordinated drawings so the that's just a quick uh background of what revit is uh but today the the concept that actually i'm going to cover is actually how i kind of set up my my drawings or my systems in the um in the drawing environment there's a uh closed uh, Facebook group that I'm a member of. It's called Entree Architect. Um, it's uh, created by this guy uh, Mark LePage. He has um he had created, he has his own podcast um, called Entree Architect and he created this um, Facebook community as well. So it's it's pretty much uh, any architect, any uh, architecture uh, professional or student uh, can be a member of this group and you know there's a lot of good questions that people ask in terms of you know whether it's business related or um you know architecture related you know opinions about hey you know it could be you know simple as, as um hey is you know does this, this look good you know people will share their design sometimes um but then uh, a common question that comes up a lot is uh how people set up their uh uh, business systems and then you know their their drawing systems as well. So, you know different architects use different software. Um, but um, recently, there were a number of questions that I, that have come up um, related to systems in in Revit. And um, you know people have shared their opinions. Um, I was going to chime in, but then I noticed um, that uh, you know. Well, why don't I just do a, a, a podcast about it and talk about how my systems are? So, um, so that's uh, what we're going to do here, and um, yeah, so let's just uh, move on to uh, the systems that I use. The number one element that I have in Rabbit for my systems is, and what it probably has, most people do have as well, is a. I start with a template. That they that every project begins from, and in that template, I keep common elements that are used within any project, and usually those are a lot of your uh, annotative elements, your title blocks, etc. So dimension styles, and text styles, and like I said, the the title blocks—they're very very common. And then I, when it comes to modeling elements, uh, I usually start with. Just generic elements, so generic walls and the doors that I have are just your kind of your typical like single swing flush door, along with a just a standard like double hung window, or and then also like a fixed window. That's uh, I usually like to keep it very simple in that regard because, um, the more elements I put in a template file, the bigger the file becomes and it can be end up becoming cumbersome with it as well. I used to have a number of years back, I had I put everything in my template file. And it just became, you know, project to project. Sometimes I'm doing a residential project, sometimes a commercial project, and I would have to go in and like if uh you're an experienced Revit user and you're trying to insert Different components; it just ends up being in, in the properties dialog when you when you click the menu. Even with the search function, it's just a ton of different stuff that uh, is in that in that, and you have to, in the uh, the properties dialog. And it just becomes very cumbersome. Spends a lot of time. You have to go through. You know, you just go through a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of like unneeded elements. So, I've gotten to the point now where I've kind of cut back and just put. Again, very basic elements that that could work for commercial or residential. And then what I've done after that is I've created different files. And what I I call them seed files. So I have a seed file for uh, wall assemblies, roof assemblies, windows, doors, uh, furniture, casework, etc. And I'm always building it um, from project to project. And what that enables me to have... Is the uh, ability to go into a file and then I copy and paste. Fa- uh, excuse me, copy and paste different uh, elements that I need for whatever project I'm working on. And one of the other things that I do that's that's pretty nice is I create a 3D view of it, and it looks like a dollhouse view. And basically, it's like everything is right in front of me graphically, so I can I can see those walls, and I have like a I use some model text that. Um, are uh, on on the view as well, so it describes whatever the assembly is, and then obviously I can click on a number of them and I just copy and paste them in the project as needed so it uh, really cuts back again on like file size in the uh, in the template file itself, and it also you know kind of helps me in terms of like not having too many things in the in the in the file itself so um and that of course works with all the different assemblies as I said so walls roofs uh windows doors and uh, floors as well those are the main ones um trying to think if I have a that actually might be the only ones I have at, at the moment. I did mention casework earlier I may not have casework yet um, and then um yeah so uh that's kind of just the uh the the quick version of of how i Deal with the uh, the model elements themselves, another benefit that I have for the seed files is that when I complete a project and let's say I created a new wall assembly for for whatever project I was working on that wasn't in the seed file, and I determined that oh, I could use this on you know on future projects or maybe uh, the project I was just working on was a new building type. And I have another project coming up. This is the same building type. So um, what I can do with uh, the the wall assemblies or any you know any of the model elements is I can then copy and paste them back into the seed file, and then that just becomes a growing library of uh, and a common library for me to access you know down the road. And then um, on top of doing the model elements, the other thing that I use for the seed. Uh, family files or seed, seed files is I take any associated um, detail views like uh, well they would have to be the the drafting views of any of the assemblies and I put them also in the seed file so for example uh, interior part partitions are a good example is I have, obviously you have them drawn in the model but on every construction set I also have a like a schedule or a sheet that has those wall assemblies drawn up in a in a detail view you know outlining what you know for example a two by six stud wall spaced to 16 inches with half inch drywall or five-eighths inch drywall on each side uh, those detail views again are put into the seed file so just like when i do the model elements and copy and paste them into my project. I can also copy and paste the drafting views into the into the you know, the current project that i 'm working on so i have uh, two two um, you know benefits there of, of the seed file is um, bringing bringing in any model elements but then also any associated uh, drafting views that would be common from project to project so uh, I find that to be again very handy and then obviously, as I mentioned earlier. With the model element, if I had a model element from a previous project that I can copy and paste into my seed file, I also can do that with any new drafting or detail views that I may have uh, developed within the the current project that I just had finished up. So, you know, again, it it keeps the template file a much smaller file. It's much easier to maintain, you know, from project to project, especially when you're starting out. And then I'm... It also is a you know a common place to find these elements you know for for anybody to go to you know so I have a folder it's like seed family or seed seed files so if somebody's like hey I need whatever wall assembly roof assembly etc oh go to the seed folder you know find that that file that's for whatever assembly you're looking for for go in there. And you can copy and paste it from there. So it's not a situation where you're trying to search um, an old project like, oh, we had such and such a project that uh, you know, we worked on two years ago. Let's find that or you know, even, even worse yet, oh, that, that project has been archived. It's not even on our server anymore, so we have to pull that off. So it's um, uh, a handy one, you know, one place to find these uh, different types of files. Now once I start a project, the there's two major things that I do in my systems of, of drawing. Number one, when I f- the day I start a project and I have a essentially a blank screen, you know, ready to go, it's kinda, you know, blank piece of paper, is th- the first thing I do before I even start drawing is I make sure that the project points in the file are set up correctly. I find it that the project points in a Revit file are so overlooked and I say that with experience on some of my BIM clients where uh I might, you know, be working with another uh contractor, another designer or, or consultant or something, and they get files from you know a, a the team you know the an architect or or whoever or another designer and there might be different uh firms all involved. So I mean I've worked on projects where I get involved on a job and there's fifteen different models just to start with. And there may be a description of like, this is how we deal with it. You know, bring in, bring in the architect's model, um, share coordinates or or insert it from origin or whatever, whatever their setup may be. But it's like, as you bring them in, you know, there's always going to be a model that's like placed somewhere else and they didn't, you know, somebody didn't, didn't follow whatever the system may be. Or even worse yet, there wasn't even a system in place. So I became very, very, uh, uh, very particular when it comes to project points Uh, to the point that um, I have a YouTube channel for my firm Dauntless Design Collaborative and there are a I believe there's seven different um, instructional videos of the different points so I'm not going to go into detail of how you deal with project points here but if you go over to YouTube Dauntless Design Collaborative you'll see there's a playlist of the different project points and you can see um, how, how you go into details or how I go into detail about how those different points, there's three or there's four different points in a Revit project file. So I kind of go over them there, but, but again, whatever the project may be, first thing I do is I make sure that the project points are set up correctly. If there are files that are linked in, everything is, is speaking correctly and all that. And then I start to, um, start to do my drawings. Now, on a, I'm just gonna say, on an architecture project if I'm you know brand new project first thing I do is I never draw an actual real assembly I always use generic assemblies and I may even use generic assemblies up until like land use or, or zoning approvals I find that the generic assemblies are much easier to work with because as you get more and more detail different elements relate to each other in certain ways and it became, can become um, problematic if you go too much into detail early on. So I like to keep it generic. I like to keep it simple, and I usually will not lock any relationships early on either. It just uh, again, kind of going back to it, it's it's adding more detail and adding a it, it it kind of becomes a time suck in terms of you know you're trying to work with the you know work with del- different elements and you may not need to. Be spending time on dealing with an element that's locked to another one that you know, like I said, can can become uh, problematic. So um, I keep it simple when when I first start, and then you know, as I as I go go along, obviously with the uh, the project, I will start to um, add the different detail. And again, it usually is more later on in the project. You know, probably usually when I start. The uh, the building permit um, process, or or those drawings, is when I start uh, adding that detail. Now, once the project moves on into whether it's the building permit drawings or a a, a time where it makes sense to start getting into the actual detail, the uh, you know construction details for the project, um, the key concept then for modeling at this point is modeling like it needs to be built it's a building information model so if it's not modeled the way it needs to be built uh, it just doesn't make any sense so at this point you know usually actually when it's when it's a generic like I'll take a floor if I have a floor going to an exterior wall I actually won't even take the floor out to the exterior face of the wall I actually take it only to the interior face of the wall so when I go to this next level of detail, I will adjust all my floors so the edge actually will hit those wall assemblies at the correct plane. So, if it's like a you know exterior wall with a, a two by framing wall, uh, that you know the edge of that floor will uh, probably be modeled to the edge of the stud framing, you know, which allows the sheathing then to uh, you know to go past. The edge of that floor, or you know whatever else the the detail may be, for when you know different assemblies hit each other. So I I start adding that detail, and then um, like I said, uh, I start adding the um, or I start modeling it the way it's really going to be built. Uh, The join tool comes into real comes in real handy at this point because if I have um, you know a situation, let's say I have a three-story building, and you know it's a stud wall. And the, the you know the floor kind of intersects with it at each level. The join tool will actually clean that up as long as everything's properly modeled, and the assemblies are set up correctly, which you know, at this point, especially if it's a typical assembly for me that I've reused after project to project, everything will will uh, be connected uh, correctly once I use the uh, join tool and i like to use it, uh, go through even if there is um, a situation where I might not necessarily have a section or a construction view or you know a a detail view or something that um is seen in the set i will go through the process of trying to join all of those different assemblies so the model itself looks correctly Uh, i will say one thing i'm I'm considering looking into in the future when it comes to details and you know how how the different assemblies join to each other uh, i do it on a um, I, I I sometimes do con- uh, construction coordination models. So I use the parts tool in Revit. It's very a very handy tool because in a situation where like I was just describing where uh, uh let's say a wood wood framed wall or wood framed uh, floor intersects with the wood framed uh wall assembly, especially at the let's say at the at the first floor. Let's say you have a concrete um foundation wall that comes up, and then you have the, the, wood, uh, the wood floor sitting on top of it with the, the wall on top of the floor. The way everything if you know any, any experienced uh, rabbit modeler here and uh, knows that the wall assembly, actually that sheathing, will stop at the top of the floor. So you could go through some you know there's there's ways to put a detail item over that so your drawing looks correctly, but utilizing a parts tool allows you to take each level or i'm sorry each um each layer of an assembly and you're able to adjust each layer individually. You kind of lose a little bit of um the um the use of your your wall assembly is as one piece. Well, actually, let me take that back. You don't you don't lose that the assembly. It's it's just it ends up becoming a view setting. So um, if you go to parts, actually you you can find in the in the properties. There's a a parts um, view setting, and it'll say something like. Uh, and I'm not in front of my computer, so it'll it'll say uh, I believe original. Then you could say parts only, or you could say both. So uh, depending on how you set that, you can kind of Manipulate that in certain ways, where this like the situation I was just describing with the 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 sheathing on a wall assembly at the at the first floor. If you switch it over to parts, you can actually drag down the the sheathing layer, so it'll go down to the foundation wall, kind of like how it would really be or um, uh, really would be built um, in the um, in the real world. So the detail itself could just be could be set to the parts, but every other view. Could not be uh, could just be set to the original wall, if that makes um, if that makes sense for whatever use you may have for it. So, um, so I, I've, I again I've used that a little bit with the construction detail uh, construction models, but not necessarily yet on my um, actual documentation sets. So, um, but again, it's it is a very handy tool. I've, I've again I've used it, and you can actually break up the. Um, the layers as well into different uh pieces so if you have a hundred foot length of a wall and that situation where the the sheathing only goes down like let's say in the tw- the back corner of the building how you know the the last 20 feet the sheathing is at a different um level you can actually break the layer in the parts and then just stretch down the one that last 20 feet so it can be modeled correctly and then you know obviously look look Correctly in your your details or your sections. Finally, when uh, we get into documentation, uh, you know it's, it starts going into you know adding detail items uh, into the, the the different views that you have on your on your set. And I pro- like right now currently, I. Do probably what most everyone else does is you know in situations like you know I'm I'm adding the detail item for sheathing I'm adding a a repeating detail for a CMU wall, um, you know adding individual two by studs you know where where I need to show them the, the insulation tool and then adding individual notes and dimensions to all these details. Um, one thing I, I I do have I do have a couple families on wood framing that. I I noticed that from project to project, I had very similar you know assemblies for uh, you know this is sp- pretty much you know for most of my like uh, residential projects, so I would have let's say you know two floors, of um, you know w- uh, wall framing and floor framing, that was pretty consistent. The only thing that would be a little bit different would be, the size of the wall studs. You know they might be two by six on one on one project two by four and another, or, or even two by eight. And then the, the floor framing ended up being the other, you know, component that, of, of the assemblies that was uh, different, um, from project to project, actually probably more so than, than the wall assemblies. So, uh, what I, I ended up developing a, a family that covers all of that. So I have a drawn, um, you know essentially like your two buys I have some visibility parameters on those two buys so if it's a single stud or you know single stud at the at the top or you know a double stud or i think I even have it set it to to a triple stud, I have a visibility parameter that handles that and then I have another parameter that uh just basically deals with the uh the width of uh of each of those studs so it's not a um, a quick Click from a two by six to a two by four. I actually have a grip that adjusts it to the the edges, or I can align it to the um, to the edges of the the modeled wall that I'm a uh, modeled wall or floor that I'm mod or uh, detailing over. So it's it's uh, pretty handy. And then it, there is actually another layer of visibility in terms of if it's one floor, or two floors, um, etc. So that one's been very very um, handy in terms of kind of just bringing one family in adjusting a few parameters and the the entire uh section or detail is uh is already uh it, m- most of those elements are, are already detailed in there. Uh, the the one element that I can't really I don't add in there is the uh insulation but again the the insulation tools there it's just it's just drawing a line and you know giving it it's it's proper width. Um, I do pay attention to I realized that the like you have on the the when you draw a wall when you're modeling a wall, you can um, say it's in either the center of the wall or the 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 either side of the wall. The the insulation tool has that as well, so uh, I, that that becomes uh, pretty handy when drawing that uh, sometimes. So uh, I do make sure I use that. Um, but then one thing I want to get into when I get into detail items is well, actually, kind of doing an audit. Of um, a couple of my more recent projects see if there's anything any other situation that would be very similar to the the wood assemblies and see if I can create another family that might be um, helpful in terms of uh, reducing the amount of repetitive tasks um, by bringing one family in rather than you know all those different detail items um, at once Uh, but then Taking one of the things that's like really uh, you know gets to me at this point that just uh, annoys me or but it's something you know something you got to do is adding those same notes to every section or every um, uh, every detail. So one thing I've been looking into is using a keynoting system. I mean, there already is a keynote system. Kind of out of the box, but uh, developing a different one that's associated with um each individual detail item, and make the keynote look like um you know have the 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 leader and the and the textile make it look like just like a normal textile that you're using on on your different uh detail drawings or section drawings. So um, I'm also looking at doing keynotes for potentially the. Uh, model wall assembly, so like for example, when I do my building sections or wall sections, sometimes what I'll do, rather than calling out in the, each individual layer, I'll say uh, like, so for example I'll say for an exterior wall that's like let, let's say vinyl siding, I'll say vinyl siding exterior wall something, something like that, and then I will list them bullet points each element from the exterior face of the wall to the interior face of the wall, right in order um but then if i have a detail later on that maybe let's say of uh where the roof um intersects with the wall i'll call out each individual layer as an individual note on that detail um so it's essentially the same thing but in again but in the building section i have it as one note with bullet points so i'm considering looking into creating a keynote for any all those different wall assemblies so if i hit the keynote that assembly will already be kind of called out, and it would be in the style that I want it to look like. Usually, when I do those callouts on a, on a building or wall section, I actually put a border around the uh, th- that text as well. So, it kind of it, it, it makes it a you know appear as. I mean, I'm calling out one whole assembly. I'm not calling out one individual one individual layer in that assembly. So. Um, I like to do that. So that would be one type of keynote. But then on the detail um, itself, um, I would then have um, different keynotes on the detail items that I bring in. So if it's a three-quarter inch plywood, a keynote that's uh, related to that. And then if I use the keynote tool, I can click on the element and then that that note will come right up. So it, it's uh, I tried to develop something with um, using Dynamo. Where it's kind of like one click and all your, your um your notes come up. Uh, there was a guy who was helping me out with that, and the, as far as we got, it was, you you ran the script, but all the text was all got inserted in one spot, so it was there, but then you had to move everything around. So, I'm looking again into utilizing the Keynotes for that rather than uh, actually using annotative elements, and then you know another reason why I want to also keep make sure the Keynotes look like. Has the same kind of um, styles as um as a textile style is that there's always going to be a situation where I'm calling out something that might be unique to that project or or to that situation that you couldn't cover in a keynote. So that's um pretty much how I deal with the details. And then um I think I'm gonna actually I'll just I'm just gonna kind of cut it off for here for this episode. Uh, I think I'm around thirty minutes and um. If you have any other questions, uh, you know, pl- please feel free to uh, either um, you know comment wherever you're seeing this being shared, whether it's on uh, you know any of the social media outlets. Um, comment uh, through, you know, you can even uh, uh, contact me directly. My uh, actually my email to contact me for uh, for Rich the Architect podcast is um, info i n f o at Dauntless d a u n t l e s s d c dot com. Again, that's info at dauntlessdc dot com for you know any questions or comments that you may have. So, uh, like I said, I'll wrap it up here and um, yeah, everybody have a good day. So the music today I'm gonna to put here at the end. I think I, actually with this podcast now I'm on the third episode. I kind of realize. That the music that I'm sharing can't be heard from outside of the the uh, Anchor app, so I'm gonna put them at the the tail end of the episode. So if you're listening on Anchor, you'll be able to to uh, listen to it. I think even on uh, if you listen to it through a link, and you're listening on the web or something, that yeah, you can also listen. You can hear it there, but uh, but I'm gonna put it at the end rather than in the middle of the episode. Because if you if it is on iTunes or another another app that this is shared on it just kind of like i intro the music and then it goes on to you know the next segment so we'll put it here at the end uh today's music actually is um by the it's a uh, dj group um the visioneers uh that this is actually the uh, a mix of apache which is one of the most uh you know probably one of the most uh, sampled breakbeats that's out there from the incredible bongo band yeah, I think most people would would know it, but uh, I like this one. This this one because there's a little bit of a history. Uh, they start talking about you know the kind of if you never knew why breakdancers are called breakdancers. It's explained in the song at the beginning, and uh, yeah. So again, this is Apache by Visioneers. Uh, enjoy, and uh, we'll see you next time.